0: just want to remind you that we're in the season of Pentecost and we mentioned that during the season of Pentecost which is the longest liturgical season of the church year we are concentrating on the biblical basis for our beliefs as Christians why do we believe what we believe and what does scripture tell us of what is expected of us as followers of Jesus Christ. During most of the uh, this uh, season of uh, Pentecost, uh, in the Old Testament, we're going to be in the uh, historical books of uh, Samuel and Kings uh, and read about that part of Old Testament history. And in the New Testament, we're going to be in Mark's Gospel, which is very interesting since Mark is the earliest The first gospel written chronologically, and is also the briefest. It's the shortest and most succinct. And then, in the latter part of the um, Advent of the uh, Pentecost season, we're going to turn from the first book of the of the New Testament uh, to one of the last books, to the Gospel of John, a gospel that is not uh, historical, but is theological. And reminds us of the reason that we believe and what those beliefs are. Uh, And so uh, we are during this season of uh, of, um, Pentecost opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. That he might help us through the scripture that we hear to understand what we are hearing as the scriptures are read to us. To accept that teaching... And to pledge ourselves to try to live accordingly. It's not enough to hear through one ear and out the other. But to allow it to have an effect on us. To change us for the better. So that we will understand what is expected of us. And to follow it properly. Now all during Pentecost through the Old Testament. We're going to be concentrating pretty much On King David, one of the stellar characters of the Old Testament. David is very important to us because David is one of the Old Testament figures, reminders of the Messiah who is yet to come in the New Testament. He is a symbol of the coming Messiah. David was the great warrior king, the greatest king in all of Hebrew history. Who raised Israel to its greatest position uh, in secular history. Uh, and also in sacred history uh, in scripture. So we need to look at David and what his life has to say to us. David was given a promise when he was anointed as king of Israel. Through the, uh, the uh, prophet Samuel... God told uh, David that there would always be a descendant of his family on the throne of Israel. That there would be no other king to rule over Israel except the lawful descendants of David. There is no kingdom of Israel today. That secular kingdom is long gone. There is no secular king Ruling over Israel today. That kingdom is long gone. But there is a descendant of King David. Who still rules today. As king and lord and master. And that's Jesus Christ. Who both on his mother's side. And on his father's side. Is a genealogical descendant of King David. So you see God is faithful To the promises that he makes to us. And we can always take the word of God as given to us. And we can take it to the bank. It's reliable. I think really the theme for all of the uh, Pentecost uh, um, readings is... uh, um, uh, uh, How does that hymn go? Uh, uh, Faithfulness. Great is... Yeah, great is thy faithfulness. That's pretty much the hymn of what we are looking at uh, as we read through here. How God has been faithful. The whole history, both Old Testament and New Testament history, of God's relationship with man is that God has always been faithful to everything that he promised and that man has always failed. He has never delivered on the promises that he made and never was able to sustain his faithfulness. The fact that we always stand in need of a Redeemer. We are sinners. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. All of us need the salvation of Jesus Christ. All of us need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And the readings that we hear during this season especially are meant to prick our conscience and make us face the reality of how unfaithful we have consistently been in our relationship to God and yet how faithful God has been to us to always forgive, to heal, to restore And to sustain us. And so we of all the people in the world should be the most grateful people alive. But we need to understand that relationship. That relationship is so important. And that's why we see in the world around us today. We find a world that does not want to acknowledge the existence of sin. The theology of the world today is, I'm all right, you're all right. And we all just have to hold hands and get along with each other. You have to accept me as I am, and I have to accept you as you are. And there is no need for any of us to change. And that is the theology of perdition. That is a theology that will damn every one of us. If we try to pretend that we have no sin. What does the gospel say? If you say you have no sin. You deceive yourself. And the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins. Then God who is faithful will forgive your sin. And will redeem you from all unfaithfulness. That's the picture of you And me. And that's what our scriptures want to tell us about. Today we're in the second book of Samuel. And we have one of the uh, very important moments of David's kingship. Saul is dead. David has been anointed as the new king of Israel. uh, 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 um, David has spent his time bringing together all of the leaders of the tribes of Israel and reminding them of the commandment that God gave to their father Abraham and through Abraham to them that they are to faithfully serve him. And he is getting a commitment From all of the leaders of Israel that they will be faithful to God. And all of these people who come to David and pledge their faithfulness to God. He calls them mighty men of valor. Mighty men of valor. Those are the people that David surrounded himself with. The people who would commit themselves to following the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament time. When he is revealed to us. And to be faithful to their calling. And so we have this interesting picture today. Of David doing something that he has longed to do. And that is after getting the commitment. To remind them of God's commitment. And in the history and in the nature of Israel. In its heritage they have a very unique possession that is a tangible reminder to them of God's faithfulness. Because when God led them out of the land of Egypt and into the, on their way to the promised land, in order to ensure them of God's faithfulness to them, God instructed Moses to create a huge chest, an ark a cedar chest and in that ark to put some tangible proofs of God's faithfulness to his people and to carry that with them as a symbol of God's presence and wherever the ark went it was encased in the great tabernacle And there they would meet to pray and to encounter God. And there the sacrifices uh, would be offered. And all throughout their history they had taken this ark uh, that uh, was their relationship to God. What was in the ark? Do you remember? Scripture tells us the contents of the ark. In the ark, first of all, was the tablets of the law. The Ten Commandments that Moses brought down from the Mount of Sinai that told very graphically God's relationship to man and man's commitment to God and to one another. Also in the ark were some uh, 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 jars that contained the manna that came down from heaven with which they were sustained for 40 years in the desert as a reminder how God never deserted them and fed them day after day after day so that they could come to rely on God. And in that ark was some of this manna that they were instructed to keep. Also in the ark was the rod of Aaron the rod that Aaron and Moses had taken to confront the Pharaoh and was a symbol of the authority that God had given them to demand their release and probably in the history of Israel other things were put in the ark from time to time but are are not listed in scripture of what was there but the ark actually existed and actually exists to this day somewhere on this earth that ark of the covenant is still concealed and one day it will be brought out again as a symbol of God's presence with his people but today we have that story of bringing this ark uh, into Jerusalem because David has gathered the tribes he's built a capital city he has laid the foundation for what's going to become a great and powerful nation and now that all of those material things are in place it's time To dedicate it all to the God who made it possible. And so David brings the ark into Jerusalem. And we have that beautiful picture of all of the people coming in parade. And singing and dancing and playing their musical instruments. And bringing it into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, And they are placing it into a new tabernacle uh, that uh, David had built. So that it could stay there uh, in the tent until David's own son Solomon would build the great and mighty temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. Every time the city of Jerusalem was threatened by outside forces, which happened many times in their history, there were priests appointed to hide all of the sacred items from the temple. And among those things that were hidden were the scrolls and the Ark of the Covenant. And after the war had passed, they would go in and recover these things and bring them out and restore them to the temple until 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed for the last time. The ark was concealed along with other things from the temple and many of the people who had concealed them and knew of their whereabouts lost their lives so that they remained somewhere in the land of Israel. These tangible connections to the Old Testament reality of God's faithfulness to his people. And that's what we were reminded about this morning as we read that beautiful story of bringing the Lord's presence and dedicating this new kingdom and the people. We are always called as sinners who have been forgiven and restored to recommit ourselves, to rededicate ourselves to the faithfulness of God. And this is the reminder uh, that we have today from this uh, wonderful story uh, of King David. Now advance yourself some uh, thousand years, fifteen hundred years to the time of Jesus Christ. We're reading the book of Mark. And as I mentioned, Mark is the shortest book. And we are now in chapter six. And in all of those chapters that we have read now, we have seen Jesus being baptized in the Jordan and, and publicly declaring himself to be the Messiah, not only personally, but by the voice of God that, that reverberates from the heavens, and then going from place to place as a peripatetic rabbi going from village to village to bring the news of salvation and tell people how their lives must be changed in order to accept the Messiah into their life and become followers and up until this point Jesus' entire preaching ministry has been centered in the Galilee he's gone from one side of the lake of the sea of Galilee to the other from one village to another last week He even went back to his own village where he had been raised as a child. And in that village, attending a synagogue service, and according to the custom of the time, given an opportunity to speak to his family and to his friends and to his neighbors whom he'd lived together with 30 years. But when he spoke to them, he did not come across as the son of the carpenter, whom they had known for 30 years, but he spoke with authority and he spoke about things that they couldn't understand how he could know about them. And remember what the gospel told us last week, that the people took offense at him because he didn't fit into the preconceived notion that they thought he should be and what he should be saying. And couldn't understand how he had the authority to do and say the things that he did. They were not willing to accept him. And because they were not willing to accept him. Remember those sad words that closed the gospel last Sunday? And he could do no powerful actions. He could perform no miracles in that village. Because of the disbelief. And rejection of the people. God so often wants to bless us, and yet we will not allow Him to bless us because we will not open ourselves up to His blessing. We close Him off. And that was the warning from last week's gospel. Don't close yourself off from God, don't allow disbelief and uncertainty. To keep you from accepting the blessings of God. And so we have Jesus going through all of the villages. And everywhere he goes there is a different reception. And that's what we've heard every Sunday. How some people were blessed by what Jesus said. And because they were blessed and in many instances were the, uh, were the recipients of miraculous healing. They welcomed the, the words of Jesus Christ and they accepted Him. Others could not come to believe in Him. And what this is telling us is that all of us are responsible for our own relationship to God and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God created us with a free will and God respects that free will. And He will not force us to love Him to accept him, or to follow him. He will simply offer the invitation. Each of us must choose to accept or to reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. And as we read these things, it's a little frightening knowing the importance of what God is offering us To so easily reject or ignore the invitation of God. Today Mark tells us a troubling story. A rather gruesome story about uh, putting John the Baptist to death. And the reason this story is brought out at this time is because this goes along with what we have read through the other chapters of how different people respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ in different ways and here we have Jesus going all through the area and speaking to all the common folks and all the professional folks uh, in the area and now we find out that the gospel of Jesus Christ has even reached the palace of Herod and King Herod has heard of Jesus And he wonders about this Jesus that he hears about. The things he's saying, the things he's doing, the miracles that he's performing. And King Herod has to filter these things that he hears through his own conscience. And he has a very troubled conscience. Because aside from the fact that he was a king... And materialistically had all the power that he could ever want. He was powerless before his peers. And when he made some boastful uh, um, promises to the uh, entertainment of his niece. And told her that he would give her anything that she wants. And what she wants is the death of John the Baptist then terror fills his heart because at the insistence of his wife Herodias he had had John the Baptist arrested to keep him from making public proclamations in the marketplace because John uh, in his preaching had preached to every person according to their needs and he had preached to the Uh, uh, to the tax collectors he had preached to the soldiers he had preached to the business people he had preached to the street walkers he had preached to all of them and told them how their lives had to be changed and then he even spoke publicly to, to Herod because all of Israel knew that Herod was living in an incestuous relationship having married the wife of his own half brother who also happened to be his own niece Because he was a king and he figured he had the right to do anything he wanted. And when John called him out on that. Herod was very perplexed. Because he knew that John was not a normal man. And he knew that he spoke with power and authority. And he feared him. But he did agree to have him locked up. And that's all he wanted to do was to silence him. But now he had been forced to kill him. And in killing him, he was convinced that Jesus Christ was the spirit of John the Baptist who had come back to get Herod. And he was filled with fear. I would think that probably... This account that Mark and that Matthew give us is probably where Shakespeare got his inspiration uh, for the tale of the tell-tale heart that he talks about, about the conscience of a man who, is cre- who has committed a terrible crime and is haunted by that crime. And this is what we see uh, in Herod. Herod was haunted by what he was forced to do. And he was a king. What could force the king to do anything against his will? And that's the warning that the gospel has for us today. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Being overly concerned about what other people might think about you. Not what's right, but what other people might think about what you have done and what you have accepted and how you live and that was strong enough to bring down the most powerful man in Galilee the king and that's the whole purpose of the story for us today because all of us are somewhere to be found in those six chapters of Mark's gospel all of us have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ Some of us have had our lives miraculously changed by that gospel and are living a totally different life. For others of us, the count is still out. We're not sure how much we want to commit to Jesus Christ's gospel, how closely we want to live it, and how much authority we want to give it over our lives. And that's the rub. We're all in charge of our own lives. Each of us must make that decision for ourselves. And what an awesome decision it is. That's why during the season of Pentecost, the church will literally barrage us with the basic foundational truths of our faith so that we can study them, we can think about them, we can pray about them, and we can make the decisions about them of how much we allow to come into our life and to change us. And today we're being warned by the gospel, don't let the pressure of other things keep you from being faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ we all stand on our own two feet and we make our own choices Amen